0: Hello, my name is Steve D'Agostino, and my co-host Ann Fernald and I welcome you to the Twice Over podcast, because to teach is to learn twice over. In this episode, The Big Bad, we discuss what to leave behind and what to bring along as we enter what will soon be a post-COVID teaching and learning environment. Here we are in season two of the Twice Over podcast. And so who's, who's the big bad for this season? I guess last season it was obviously the pandemic and, and how to survive, maintain our courses, our relationships with each other, with our students in this unprecedented and overwhelming situation. But here we are now, I guess almost a year in, we've moved using our metaphor, right, from the um, acute to the chronic Right. What's different now? How are we responding differently?
1: That's a great question. I mean, this year has felt like the big bad. That's a new phrase to me. I love it. I feel like I'm going to be using it all the time. So what is the big bad right now? I'm a big Shackleton fan, so I would say endurance is the <laughs> big bad, right? Um, this is a real slog, And one of the challenges that I think all of us face as we develop facility with some of the tools of teaching online is not overburdening ourselves and our students with these tools, right? And so thinking about just because we can use all of these things, how are we going to a reasonable expectation of what a course is of what a college career is so that's one thing is that that's one part of the endurance right is we've gotten better at some things we've gotten a lot better at some things but that doesn't mean we can keep adding more onto our pile and then the other the other big bad the other enemy is finding a way to keep alert to the inequities that were uncovered when the pandemic hit. And how do we continue to adapt our teaching so that we are mindful of and welcoming to, you know, those in our classrooms for whom this is really challenging for a wide range of reasons.
0: I was thinking about that Tom Hanks movie where he's stuck on the island with Wilson. Yes. So his volleyball, when he gets back home, he's rescued. You see him in the, um, in the hotel room, right? And he's, he bought a new volleyball because he had lost his beloved Wilson in the ocean. So I guess that symbolizes, he's still got this trauma with him, right? Right. On the other hand, he's got this package that he wants to deliver, and, and the movie ends on this optimistic note, like he has this future, right? I have a new goal. And I think we're sort of in that same space, right? We're carrying, we're certainly all carrying some trauma with us in the form of our own little Wilsons, but we have learned things, right? We're different now. In a similar way, we've been stranded, right? The world kind of stopped. And now we have to sort of, we're back or we're, we're faced with the prospect of back, but really, there is no going back, right. That we've, we've all been changed. And even if we've all been changed only a little bit, when you multiply that little change across a huge, you know, population, that's a big change.
1: Absolutely.
0: And so I think the the issue here is like, what, you know, what, what is it that we want? How do I separate the trauma from the hope? Right. What, what do I want to sort of, what do I need to get over and, and try to come to terms with? And what are some areas for opportunity that I need to really look for and, and try to embrace?
1: I was really struck today on the listserv, there was a conversation about care that came out of a conversation I was having privately with a faculty member and some of the undergraduate deans. And I brought it to the listserv this morning and invited people to talk about the fact that students are feeling really overwhelmed right now what are you doing to show your care for students? And I was really struck by what Janine Hill Fletcher said about asking people to share pockets of joy. Because for her, the idea that phrase pockets of joy gets out of the binary of it's trauma or it's something we've learned and it's hope, it's that both of the, we're living in both of these things at the same time. We're living in the trauma And there are moments when we feel hope or there are moments when we find joy. You you find joy and then it flips. So when you can seize some joy, you seize it because you know life can change on a dime. So I've been thinking a lot about trying not to deny one side while looking at the other, right? Not to be so hopeful that I let go of the acknowledgement of grief and not to be so mired in everything that's still incredibly hard and painful um, that I can't see that hope is there too.
0: I mean, when we were doing the, um, one of our workshops, Mm -hmm. one of the participants we're we're talking about, okay, what's, what's a joyful zoom, right? Uh, Right. How do you, what would that even be? And some of the people we talked with in season one talked about like rituals, meditative practices, clear demonstrations of care, efforts at building community. I mean, I think that there is a real joy in each other's physical presence.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: That's really hard to replicate virtually. But I think that there are affordances that technology offers. So I think there's a lot of thinking to do around what does kind of post-COVID, post-quarantine university life look like.
1: Absolutely. A colleague at another university tweeted out the other day that she thought maybe Zoom office hours were better than regular office hours. And that's something I remember Stephen Stoll talked about that in when we interviewed him in season one, right? He said, you know, I, I have a really long commute. I could meet with students and not have on days when I don't come to campus. And I could be more available in a certain way by staying home. So are there things like that that you've thought, oh, I'm not going to let go of this when we can be together a little bit more?
0: I think what I've tried to do is be more purposefully compassionate, I guess, more. I do reach out to the students much, much more. So when they post a comment and voice thread, I will email them individually I mean, I'm not laboring over, you know, 30 emails every week. I do have a kind of boilerplate email that I'll tweak. Right. But I do try to kind of keep the ship afloat in that way to let them know I'm, you know, you're not shouting into the void that I'm here. I do seize opportunities to demonstrate that I care. So when they need extra time or they couldn't log in or they missed something or they're You know, I I grab onto those as a way to demonstrate that I I, I really want you to succeed. I think that's important for them as learners. And it also demonstrates really to the class that, okay, I I can, I can trust this person because so much of successful teaching is based on trust. And how do you build that when, you know, in virtual spaces, I mean, we moved away from joy, right? Joy, I think is a big, naughty problem. But I think we can be mindful around, you know, trust, compassion, being gentle, being kind. Joy to me seems much more spontaneous. Right. Right. I, I don't I don't know how you would um, sort of, you know, I don't know. I don't know what a joyful Zoom is. And we asked in the workshop, like, what's the best Zoom you've ever attended or been part of? Right. I tell you, there's this one Zoom a couple of years ago, and everybody logged in. And the tiles
1: of- were arranged just so.
0: <laughs>
1: everybody knew how to work their mics, and
0: no one forgot to unmute themselves.
1: So when you think about the big bad of season two and the naughty problem that we're trying to address, what are who are the people you want to talk to? What are the kinds of people you want to talk to? What are the kinds of conversations that you think we need to have in order to think this problem through together. Well,
0: I think we're out of the phase of defining what is a flexible hybrid model or what does high flex mean or how can I teach 10 students effectively while 15 are zooming in and we're all wearing masks and six feet apart. I think that's sort of, that is what it is. I think there are valuable reasons to do that. But I think what I'm looking for in season two is... What what are some promising practices? Right. What did we learn? What do I want? What do I want to keep? Right. The question you asked earlier. What do I want to keep in my practice going forward if by fall of 2021 we're back in at the university, everyone right. physically present? What do I want to keep? Do do we still need to meet in person every week? I think, I think it's going to be split. Some people will see, yeah, I really missed everyone. I really like this. And some people are going to think, well, why did I have to, what did I come here for this for? There's going to be real pressure, I think, on face-to-face instruction to demonstrate the necessity for physical presence. Yes. Right. People are not going to be so hungry for, for physical presence because they'll be able to get it in other places now, right? Everything will be open.
1: So people talk about the meeting that could have been an email. And yeah. I think we're going to talk about the class that could be asynchronous, yeah. right? And that could be a, an entire course and it could be a session, right?
0: Right. At the instructor level, that's one thing. But I think at departmental school, university levels, some thinking is going to have to be done to determine how is that going to work? How are students informed that the professor can't just change her mind and say, you know, we don't need to meet anymore. Let's just do Zooms from now on. Or do we need to have some way of explaining first to ourselves and then to the students about what what is a course now? Do we code them differently? Do we describe them differently? What is the state, at least in our case, New York State, going to say about seat time? What kind of flexibility do we have at the course level to make wholesale changes?
1: And some of my students are telling me that now that that we as faculty members have gotten adept at recording lectures, they're receiving the same amount of reading as before, plus 50 to 100 minutes of recorded lectures, plus synchronous class sessions. And so what's happened in the flexible hybrid model in some cases is students have been given, you know, two hours more homework a week because there's a lecture and a discussion for every class, right? And so there's a lot of sorting and refining, I think, that still um, still needs to happen.
0: I mean, that's something I'm worried about doing the work that I do, is that online learning has been demystified now, right? We've all had experiences of it. But those experiences, both as teachers and as learners, will, will vary widely you know, in quality and effectiveness. And so there's a good enough solution. You know, I talked this way for two semesters. It seems fine. I'm going to keep doing this.
1: And without I, interrogating the practice, without learning about what's effective. So I'm interested in talking to people who can help me kind of sort out effective instructional strategies that are not overwhelming to our students. Um, I mean, I guess effective and overwhelming should probably be mutually exclusive,
0: right? I mean, if we're talking about who we would want to interview for season two, I guess I'd want, you know, some reflective practitioners, right? What are questions I should be asking myself as a teacher to really interrogate my practice? One of the things that I I think has been, if we're talking about successes, is to work on some cultural change and centering teaching. I think the entire, the higher education sector really talked about like instructional practices, And tools, and what are good tools, and how do you choose them, and what do you do in a live session, and what are some varying ways to integrate asynchronous and synchronous components, and the flipped classroom. And I think that conversation was valuable. And so, how do we keep that going, right? In season three, four, and five? We just got to get to syndication, really, is the key.
1: it's that's important. And then that. Once it's syndicated, then I think the the merchandising offers really will start rolling. Really? I think yeah. it's only really once the syndication happens. That the. Oh, mer- by the
0: way, this episode is brought to you by Martin Paint. It ain't just paint. So I think that was really valuable what you said. Who do you think we should talk to in season two? Could you say a little more about that?
1: I do want to think about that. And I'm thinking a lot about the joy of learning and the purpose of learning and less is more. So what I don't want to do is to, to keep, to feel like we're, we're in this project. That's a kind of additive model, right? That, that's, that's a kind of second tier level of the tools conversation where it's like, you've learned these five tools. Here are 30 more. But rather, now that we understand maybe better how to be slightly effective online, let's go back, let's loop back and think about maybe our subject, why we're teaching what we're teaching, and how we want to convey that to our students as learners. And then I want to think about something like trauma-aware teaching right and think about the fact that a lot of our students are coming to us having all of our students are coming through to us having experienced trauma to greater and lesser degrees and what does it look like to design classes that recognize the fact that some people are suffering and some people will have a day or a week or a semester when they're when it's hard for them to learn yeah. And how, how do we support them through that?
0: I'm thinking again about this idea of joy while you were talking and interrogate what I think of when I hear the word joy, that my teaching is joyful. And mm-hmm. so maybe, you know, we find joy in the presence of others, we find joy in the content. How do how do we stay connected to that? Right? Joy in, in kind of how proud I am when my students do something really well when they demonstrate their commitment, that's a kind of joy. When I talk to my wife about how my class went and I'm so excited about it. I mean, there are these, as we said before, these pockets of joy, you know? And so maybe part of the work of season two is to be uh, receptive to those pockets of joy and to recognize and appreciate them, right?
1: The novelist A.S. Byatt had this great essay in the Times Literary Supplement many years ago about why metaphysical poetry is so exciting to read. So she says, I love John Donne. I love reading his poetry. I love decoding his poetry. And then she goes to a brain scientist of some kind who's studying brain waves and says, oh, well, here's the thing about metaphysical poetry. Every thought fires a neuron. And if you're thinking two things at the same time, two neurons fire. And so when you discover a pun or any kind of double meaning, which is what metaphysical poetry is full of, right? Oh, it's this and it's also that, you're getting twice the jolt, like you're literally getting a charge out of the thought, right? And so there's like a little spark, like when we talk about these sparks of joy that we get when we figure something out, there's like a real physiognomic reaction happening in our brains because things are connecting right and so i think about that all the time because isn't that that makes so much sense to me that it's physical because when i have a good class or when i witness someone even on a zoom like having an epiphany comprehending a concept making a link it is so joyful and it's so exciting and keeping hold of that, even in this sad, hard time, ha- has been a real lifeline for me. And I see that it has been for my students as well. And I want to talk to people who are finding ways to keep that alive.
0: As opposed to like the slog that, that you were talking about earlier, right? That we're That's just...
1: right. That's right. The slog is real, but maybe we don't need to highlight it.
0: or It's a, it's a, it's a joyful slog. As yeah. John Dunn would say. That's such a thing, John Dunn would say.
1: <laughs> That's one of my favorite John Dunn poems, in fact, The Joyful Slog. So if the big bad in season one was coronavirus, what is the big bad for season two, Steve?
0: I think maybe the big bad isn't is has has moved from an exterior to an interior space, right? It's a time to like sort of now begin to think about the effects of this long period of isolation on ourselves, um, both positive and and negatively, really. What what were some of these effects? What can we take away with us and what do we wanna leave behind? And what are things that we're not really ready to leave behind yet, but ultimately we can hope that Tom Hanks won't spend the rest of his life carrying around a volleyball, right?
1: Right, that's an aid. It's a little (laughs) bit of assistive technology. To move beyond or outgrow or develop past, and that the volleyball does not necessarily need to be with him for eternity.
0: Twice Over Podcast is available on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Spotify, with new episodes appearing twice each week. For host and guest bios and show notes, please visit our website, TwiceOverPodcast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twiceover1 or email us at twiceoverpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening.